shot. Goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Goes for a goal! Oh! Finally, <laughs> Boostak! What the goal! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, as Mark Donaldson and I bring you a show despite it being just past an international weekend. We're going to talk hearts, we're not going to try and focus on Scotland at all. Uh, Do you ever focus on international football these days, Mark? Yeah, I do. Um, I I did some some commentaries, but it's nice to see Scotland didn't bother with the international weekend. Um, Never showed up against Israel and... From what I saw of the Portugal game, um, not ideal. I was. It's weird internationals because you get you get made not made to do, but you, uh, for what I do, I did Russia against Turkey um, on Sunday, and I did I did the Netherlands Germany. So there's, it's not my ideal break, the international break, but you get to see some games, and I think the best story for the international break was Gibraltar. A um, mm. couple of win, couple of wins for them. So. The Nations League is a bit convoluted and a bit complicated, but it, it puts teams of or nations of equal standings against each other, and you get some wonderful stories. So Gibraltar and Montserrat, who won for the first time in four years. But back to the action, and we've got Aberdeen this weekend, and we're going to have a bit of fun on this podcast, aren't we? Well, that's the, the aim of this podcast, and yeah, we might be a bit shorter this week, just with, I guess, less uh, match action to review but we'll have a look at a couple of things we spoke about last time around. And as Mark says, talk about Aberdeen, which is the next game coming up for the Jambos. Uh, but first of all, some of the things we spoke about last time around, Mark's big topic from last week was cult zeros. Uh, we spoke about some ourselves last time around, Mo Berte. I mentioned Andy Todd and a few of you have got in touch so uh, in terms of Mo Berti, Mark Wells actually said he was on the terrace at Dens when he played. And he'll, <laughs> al- he'll always remember him heading the ball about 30 feet in the air three times in a row from the midfield. And that was probably his only three touches, maybe. <laughs> Mo Berti, yeah. A bit like um, a bit like our friend from the first two episodes, uh, Gary Tierney. Whatever happened to Mo Berti? Yeah, and on Gary Tierney, I know the search continues. We haven't got any further, although thanks to uh, Anne Waddle and Billy Steedman for carrying the search on a bit. Anne said that apparently he's still at Colville Park, from what she could find out. And uh, Billy Steedman actually went one step further and tweeted Colville Park, uh, saying that (laughs) Mark and I are looking to get Gary Tierney on the podcast, give him a shout. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet, but uh, these amateur are sometimes non-league Twitter accounts, aren't always as active as maybe top flight clubs. So we'll we'll hold our, we'll wait on that one. We'll maybe stay optimistic and hope we'll hear back at some point. But the search for Gary Tierney does continue. Elsewhere, in terms of cult zeros, Mark Wells also actually said he could create a massive list of random players from the Romanov era. But he settled mm-hmm. for Peter Enkelman's 
only game off the bench against Celtic. Oh, that's a great shout. And it is. Yeah, Pete Enkelman, and I think he got nutmegged, was like the only thing he did that day uh, by Georgia Samaras to hand Celtic a 1-0 victory. While we're on um, goalkeepers called Peter, and Enkelman's a great shout, I, I, I think I'd be pretty good at Hearts trivia between 85 and 2000. Um, and, and obviously, post then, since 2010, since I came over here, I'd be all right. But then, as, as the person that got in touch said, it got crazy under Romanov with a number of players. Um, but there's one piece of trivia. I would not have got this because I cannot remember this happening. Any Hearts fans of a certain age, probably 40 plus, maybe 35 plus, do you remember Hearts signing Peter McCloy? Because I don't. I was going through London Hearts looking for my cult zeros, of which I'm going to give you three or four in just a second. But I just thought this was a a nice kind of theme. We're talking goalkeepers called Peter playing briefly for Hearts. Um, you can accuse me of cheating because Peter McCoy never actually played for Hearts, but he was on the bench for one of our more, most famous ever wins at Tynecastle against Bayern Munich. Back in those days, you didn't need a goalkeeper on the bench for domestic games, but you did for European football. So not only did Peter McCoy get signed um, at the time by Alex McDonald and Sandy Jardin and put on the bench against Bayern at home, he also travelled with the squad to Munich and was the goalkeeper uh, on the bench against Bayern as well. Um, for So both legs. I just, I cannot remember it. So I'm glad I've, I've picked that up. But Peter Enkelman and Peter McCloy, both signing for Hearts. One of them played. One of them was on the bench for one of our most famous wins. Sideways to Ferguson. Brilliantly finished by Ferguson. Hearts take the lead. So we, we, we put a lot of research into this podcast. It might not sound like it, but we do. And the research is stuff like watching YouTube videos of George Wright and Joe Guest making a fancy mozzarella and tomato salad on men and motors when she is wearing nothing but a green penny with uh, white um, straps and nothing on underneath. And, of course, the penny kind of slips while they're making it. George Wright has to uh, – and I, I went on to work with George Wright um, I think Joe Guest will be more memorable for him to work with than me, clearly. Um, nice guy, <laughs> re- really good guy. And, and a night out with George, um, goodness me, that was something else because he uh, he had some contacts. And George Wright was certainly a cult zero or a cult hero or, or whatever. I think it's maybe harsh calling them cult zeros, just players that kind of played a few games for hearts and, and you remember them. The other list that I have is an American called Hugo Perez, who um, played in a friendly against uh, Inverness Caledonian. Um, This was in 1987, and he actually made the Los Angeles Times. Um, Soccer midfielder Hugo Perez flew to Scotland Sunday. They don't say on, they just say Sunday. It's weird over here. To try out with the first division outdoor team, Hearts. (laughs) Never heard Hearts described as a first division outdoor team. That suggests it's an indoor team as well, though, doesn't it? Well, they have indoor and outdoor soccer over here, or they did back then. Indoor soccer was very popular in the mid-80s, so they had to kind of clarify. It's like I was at the US-Peru game last night. 
and they don't call it the US team, they call it the US MNT, yeah. which is the US men's national team, because the women's national team is so successful over here. So that's nice. Um, the other thing is soccer coach Ron Newman said that Southampton of the English First Division called him Monday to say they were interested in Perez. Earlier this month, Bell from the Sounders, uh, the soccer, sorry, fined Perez $4,500 and suspended him for two weeks because he dared to try out for Ajax Amsterdam, brackets, a European team, brackets, <laughs> indoor, uh, sorry, outdoor, in July without telling the soccers. Um, so Hugo Perez is one. Billy Mackay is another one, a ginger striker from Glenrothes. Played with Rangers, had many issues with uh, injuries. Um, never started for Hearts, but came off the bench on a few occasions. And the one from last week, which I didn't get in because I wanted to mention him this week. He's even got his own Wikipedia page. Jim Jeffries brought a kid called Jonathan Toto over to the club in on trial in August 2010. Now, there was a deal because the club he was at, Legnano, were wound up. So he was trying to get his registration sorted. Uh, and he played against Blackburn as a second-half sub. Um, they couldn't get the deal done, so he went to Morton as an amateur in 2010 in a bid to move to Hearts when the transfer window opened in January 2011. That never materialised, by the way. Alan Moore at Morton said, um, we're not keeping him on. He wasn't very good. And, quote, to be honest, I would have to say, he has been disappointing. So he was released <laughs> by Morton. He wasn't even getting paid and they kicked him out. So maybe it wasn't to be at Hearts and he moved back to the land of his birth in, uh, where did he, he was born in France. Um, but then he ended up going to Singapore and whatever. So maybe that was a, a bullet that was dodged. Jonathan Toto ends my quartet of cult heroes and zeros. Uh, there's one that I do remember quite well, and I think a lot of people remember him quite well, bizarrely, considering he only ever played one game for Hearts, and that's uh, Tiago Costa, who just sounds like he should be he should be good. I, I I think I remember him. Did he have bleach blonde hair? Yes, you're not. You're you're, you're probably picturing the bleach blonde um, hair that just looks like either a kind of model or actor or footballer holding up the old Hummel shirt with oh, Costa yes. on the back. He played I do remember him. Can you imagine a night out in Tiger Lily with Tiago Costa and George Wright? I mean, imagine being the third wheel of that triumvirate. Oh, I was going to wow. say, well, one of his teammates who, who actually scored in his only game, another one you could have with him, maybe Mauricio Pena? Oh, I've got a story about Pena. It's not, and I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't call him a cult zero at all. No, not he, at all. And he's not. He's not actually been mentioned by anyone as a cult here, but a cult zero. But I just noticed he scored in Thiago Costa's only game, which was against Inverness, and it was just a player who I suppose promised quite a lot. But continue with your story, which I'm sure is better. Than it's a it's a brief story. So he'd, he'd done the written press at Rickerton one day, and Pinier was a character because. Um, you could never guarantee he was going to be somewhere on time. And by God, the boy had ability. He played up at Aberdeen and you thought, whoa. And he went on to have a right good career in, in, in Italy mm -hmm. as well. Um, and he's adored over there by, by a couple of, of clubs. So he came out after he'd done the written press to do the broadcast media. Um, I think I might have been at Radio 4th at the time. And um, 
I'd set up my equipment and everything like that and I'm about to start and he goes, stop, stop. I said, what is it? He goes, look at my socks. I said, what? So he pulled up his, he had the, the tracksuit bottoms on, pulled up his tracksuit bottoms and he had Simpsons socks on. And he goes, look, Homer. He goes, don't. And he says, right, we may start now. <laughs> what the heck is this? He was nuts. He was absolutely just bonkers. Brilliant player. And I just wish Hearts fans uh, had seen more of, of what he could do. Because when he played well, I mean, there were times he was unplayable. But it just, there was, I think Edinburgh was too much of a distraction for him. So we've gone. I want to be part of the quartet now with Tiago Costa, George Wright, Maurizio Pania, and me. Again, that that would that's like a story that um, when I was doing research for uh, for Stevie Nichols' book, because Stevie um, played against George Best when George was at Hibs and Stevie was at Ayr. And there was a night before a Five Nations game at the time. Uh, Scotland played France and Hibs were meant to play Ayr in a Scottish Cup tie on the Sunday. And Jean-Pierre Reeve was in town um, staying at the Caledonian Hotel. And him and Best went on a night out. And as a result, they had to send Tom Hart, I think it was, um, in the, the Hibs chairman. They had to send him up to the hotel to try and see where he was. And, and, and he didn't play. But uh, Jean-Pierre Reeve, George Best, um, I mean, that was the kind of thing that they would get up to. Um, so if Hearts played on a Sunday, there was always the danger that Maurizio Pania might be out on a Saturday night and spotted on uh, on George Street somewhere. But what a good player he was. He was a fantastic player. And uh, Ewan Pringle, who mentioned Thiago Costa and asked whatever happened to him, he went on to play for many Portuguese clubs. He played in Bulgaria, Romania, Cyprus, Israel. He had 13 clubs since Hearts. He's actually only now 33, so could well still be playing, although I couldn't find any records for him past 2017. There's some here that I might have to ask you about, Mark, because Andrew Cochran sent me a message, and he mentioned a couple of players, one of who is David Johnson, who he says was a rugby player, yes, who played some games for yes. Hearts in the late 70s, he thinks. He said he was unsure, apparently, about whether to pursue rugby or football, and in the end probably made the right choice given the team that Hearts had in those days. Not a story I know anything about. I wasn't sure if you'd... Yeah, he, he was... I remember vaguely, he was a player that made headlines because he, he kind of played both codes. He played rugby union and he played um, football as well. Um, how many games he played? You've got to love the London, jo uh, London Hearts website. Um, they called him an outside left. Late 70s, 1977... He basically was, was there for, he, he played a couple of games, uh, Dundee, East Fife, and OFK Kikinda. I only know them because I've got the programme somewhere in my mum and dad's loft <laughs> in Pennycook. Um, I think they were Finnish. And don't give me the anti-Niemi. No, they weren't. They looked like they were Yugoslavian. Uh, OFK Kikinda, Yugoslavian side. Unlike the Finnish, Arthur Albiston, anti-Niemi call and talk sport. All those years ago, um, by the, uh, he was signed. Uh, he, he was signed by Willie Ormond. Here's one for you. This is really interesting. I love this. So David Johnson was signed in July 1977 from Tartan Boys Club by Willie Ormond, and then the following month was sold to Watsonians Rugby Club. 
that's magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Yeah, that's a great shout. David Johnson must be the only player who's signed for Hearts and then sold to a club in another sport. That's a great shout. How does that even work? No, you're not getting it. It's just the way that London Hearts writes it. It says sold to. <laughs> it's much better than released and became a rugby player. Uh, no, a, ta- a talented guy. He played rugby at Watson's, I believe, and um, and went on, I think, to represent Scotland. But, yeah, I'm t- that's, a, that's a great shout. This is one, I guess, more for your era than mine again. Uh, this is from Stuart to Stuart1874 on Twitter. Gregor Stevens played, well, he says three times for Hearts in 84 while on loan from Rangers. He was at one of the matches against Rangers at Tiny. Uh, Hearts scoring two late goals and a 2-2 draw. Correct, question mark. And I did check this and indeed he was correct in terms of that game. Uh, Gregor Stevens actually played uh, five times for Hearts, three league appearances, also two in the Scottish Cup. And indeed, his first league game was against Rangers. 2-0 down Hearts were with two to go. And Derek O'Connor and John Robertson scored to make it two apiece. So, Greg, mm. Gregor Stevens, one that you would remember? It was the year before I started going to games. 1984, obviously heard of him, but never actually saw him play in person for uh, for Hearts. And I know he went to Brecon and Dumbarton afterwards, and I don't think we would have played either in 86 or 87, so not someone I've seen in person. Good show, though. What else you got? I've got, I like the next one, and this is more mm-hmm. my era and your era. This is from Big C 1874 on Twitter. Kevin James would be his Andy oh, Todd. Six, yeah. six foot 20, a goal threat corners, target man if we're losing, probably played 11 games before Jim Jeffries realised he was too gangly for the SPL and wasn't used to having to jump now, um, he is a guy I remember, over, obviously over two metres tall. He was literally six foot seven. Edinburgh born. He was a jambo, I believe. He uh, was. And uh, this one game that always comes to mind when I think of Kevin. Stuttgart. Yep. Took the words right out of my mouth. One of my one of my favourite Hearts games. And it was when <laughs> Jeffries basically said, well, we'll rattle this lot if whenever we've got set pieces... Let's launch Gordon Petrich and Kevin James up the park because six foot seven and what was Petrich six five maybe they were both huge mm-hmm. and um, it worked. Oh, Petr- by the way, Petrich had an unbelievable chance. At oh the yes, end of that I, game. Remember. I remember an unbelievable chance, um, and he and he missed, and that would have put us through. I, re- I remember doing the commentary for Radio Fourth over in the, the Mercedes Benz Arena um, for the first leg, and Krasimir Balikov scored. That was the trip where Hearts fans shut down a bar. Because they, they they drank it dry. It was a karaoke bar that we were all in the night before, and it, the beer was just flowing. It was being chucked everywhere as well. So obviously, when you've when you've been on a European trip with Hearts or or whatever, and you find somewhere that was fun, you go back the next night. Um, and this was for those that had kind of come a couple of days beforehand, as opposed to the day before. Um, so those that had come on the Tuesday or whatever the whenever the two days before the game was, and um, we were in this bar and and it was it was magnificent. It was a, a great night, but went back the next night and um, there was some suggestion that it was closed because there was no beer left. I also heard, and this is more plausible, that there'd been a bit of bother, not involving Hearts fans, but there'd been a bit of bother. And Matt got the, the the bar was kind of not trashed, but it was closed down. Whatever the true story is, I'm not sure. Um, but the other thing about that tie, I remember interviewing after the second leg, the Stuttgart coach, Ralph Ranjik, who's still heavily involved in the Bundesliga. 
And what, I don't know what my first question was, but I very, very well remember his his first answer. And he says, I will answer... I'm, no, let's not put on a German accent, because that's, <laughs> that's just taking the piss. Uh, he said, look, I'll answer your question in a minute. He said, but the first thing I want to say is, I thought I came here to play football with my team. I did not realise this was basketball. This man <laughs> is too big. He is huge, Kevin James. And he said, we struggled to him. And then he got back. He said, but that was his first thing. He says, I did not think we came here to play foot- uh, to, to play basketball with regards to Kevin James. Uh, yeah, James, Presley, Petrich, a lot of height. I just wonder, like in like David Johnson going from Hearts to a rugby team, if we could have tried to punt Kevin James to a, a basketball team after those comments by the Stuttgart manager. But Jonathan Glenn, one final one. Gordon Judy. Uh, rocking up to his final days was a great random player for Hearts. And, uh, yeah. He actually did okay up front with Andy Kirk, I thought. He did, yeah. Jury, I like Mo Johnston, I liked as well. Players that kind of came to Hearts in their 30s and they did fine. I, I sometimes think when you sign players that are nearing the end, um, they, they, you, <laughs> not, not, not of life, of, of, their, of their profession. Um, <laughs> goodness me, re- you can see there's a priest in the main stand at Tank Castle about to read them the last rites. No, I, I just think you get a little bit extra for them because they want to go out on a high. And uh, uh, Gordon Jury was great at Hearts. I loved watching Gordon Jury and, and Mo Johnson as well. Um, Justin Fashion, you remember him for Hearts? Um, he was another, I think, played up, up at Dundee at Dens Park. But you just you knew what you got um, from from these players, and and the other, I mean, to an extent, um, Stephen McLean, I think Gordon Jury, I think, and you'd have to check this was maybe younger, and Mo Johnson was certainly younger when he joined Hearts than Stephen McLean is right now, but the, their their experience is priceless for the youngsters at the club, and. I, I remember when Andy I was there the, the, the when Andy Webster signed for Marbroth. Andy Webster wouldn't be the player he went on to be without the help of Stephen Presley, and to an extent Christoph Berra and John Souter, and that's what Alex McDonald did back in the mid eighties for Hearts. He, I remember Donald Park played and and Alex McDonald and Sandy Jardin obviously played as well. That helped Robbo and Gary Mackay and the young kids coming through. There's a lot to be said. And not sticking your nose up at someone that's maybe 36, 37. A lot to be said for the experience and what it does. Um, look at Naismith as well. Always talking to the young kids on the field. Just great leadership and great examples for everyone else. Now, one subject that we didn't talk about when the draw was first made because there was so much going on. Uh, it was the Betfred Cup semi-finals. So there's so many things in play now topic-wise on this, not just what's going to happen on the park. So, of course, Hearts and Celtic are now playing at Murrayfield. Aberdeen Rangers are playing at Hamden, both on the same day. Now, I thought it'd be good to start off, I suppose, looking at the games as a whole. And by that, I mean the debate over Celtic and Rangers and tickets and such like. And now, at the time of recording, it's just been confirmed the Hearts have sold 18,000 tickets so far, which I think is terrific before general sale. Just to season ticket holders as well, which is mm-hmm. excellent. Which is superb. Uh, now, one thing about both games, which I don't know how this will have progressed by the time people are listening, but certainly at this point, it's just come out today, it's very fresh, is the debate over how the two clubs, and when I say two clubs, I mean Aberdeen and Hearts, are selling their tickets. Now we've only just we've literally only just spoken about this for about a minute before we came on air. So what's interesting 
Mark, is uh, the debate over how they're meant to sell their tickets. And I, I have no insight. No, I don't really know how it works at a football club when you get issued. If do the do the governing body generally tell you you should sell blocks A, B, C, or do you know? Does 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 it work that way? Do they usually issue an instruction on this is your section? We'd like you to sell from this row onwards or this block onwards, west or east around the stadium, however it might work. Well, the line that's interesting for me in this story in the Daily Record, the SPFL instructed the Pataudry Club to sell tickets for the East Stand at Hamden block by block, allowing unsold tickets to be returned to Rangers. I totally get that because you don't want um, uh, you don't want all the tickets kind of behind the goal unused when you could just move them around and have. But if Rangers are going to sell 40 and Aberdeen are going to sell 15 or, or whatever it is, whatever um, the, the the split is, you want it sold out. But I can see Aberdeen's point of view here yeah. as well, because they're, according to the article, they've decided to offer the fans the best views. So basically the most loyal fans get the best seats, because as it stands, the way that the SPFL wanted it, according to the article, again, we don't know if, if this is the way they do it the best seats wouldn't be sold until the very end and it would be fill it up from behind the goals onwards. The issue we've got here is this age-old kind of Rangers end, Celtic end at Hamden. Come on. I mean, is this still the draconian methods that that we use? I can see this from both sides. And you know what it's like these days, Laurie, in that you see an issue and and you just stick to your guns and you don't realise there's two sides to the story. I can see the SPFL wanting a full house because ultimately the four semi-finalists end up getting a chunk of the gate as well. So they don't want empty seats. But Aberdeen don't want the 10,000 behind the goal and Rangers having the majority of the TV arc and and everything else. So surely there's a better way to do this. Um, But there's no, I guarantee you, there is no way, given all the mess that resulted in the ridiculous decision in the first place to try and play two games on the one day at the one stadium. There's no way they're going to take a gamble and change decades of history about this is the Rangers end and this is the Aberdeen end. Um, that's not the I mean, why, why couldn't they do it to an extent that you start off on the far side selling your tickets and you work your way around to the main stand, uh, not to the main stand because they're sold separately, but you work out it's very difficult and it's not the time for the SPFL to start changing things around now. So I see both sides of this story. It's basically, I get it right up you from Aberdeen. No, and I get, I totally agree with you there that from Aberdeen's perspective, and it should be mentioned that I don't know how this one will progress either, but Celtic, there's been some moans or gripes coming out from certain Celtic supporters when they're looking at the Murrayfield ticket sales from both Hearts and Celtic side and they can see that Hearts have already started selling tickets close to the centre of the park on each side, east and west, which again, similar to the Aberdeen Rangers Hamden predicament, means that it's unlikely that Celtic will get given any more tickets because Hearts have already started giving fans tickets close to the Celtic support. But of course, from Aberdeen and Hearts' perspective, some of their fans will want to sit in the middle, you get a better view. Why would you want to sit in the corner when you could buy a ticket in the middle? So if the SPFL give clubs free reign to sell their allocations, then of of course they're going to think of their own fans. They're not going to think, oh, let's give Celtic and Rangers a chance to sell more tickets, 
give them more fans at the game. I, I understand there's a revenue perspective here that it's completely split, but especially with the, I suppose, animosity between the clubs involved and everything that's gone before with this whole saga, farce at times, not from the club's perspective, but from the governing body, of course they're going to think of their own fans and they're going to do anything they can to get a bit more yeah. one-upmanship on it. Surely it's down to the SPFL to say, we're issuing your tickets first set of sales are x amount to both clubs and as you mentioned you sell it block by block you can't ask the clubs to pick and choose how they're going to make their fans sit it surely had to be issued by the the, the governing body who control it from the, the outset i i think there's a, a decent chunk of people listening to this that will have sat behind the goals at either both murrayfield and hamden or one or the other um, mainly Hamden, because we've we've been there a lot going back over over the years, and we've sat behind the goal um, quite a lot. The, the seats behind the goal um, they're better at Murrayfield uh, than they are at uh, at Hamden, but they're still not ideal. So I totally get Aberdeen saying, "Well, wait a minute here, we've got these fans that go every single week, and Hearts to an extent as well." This, look, my mum and dad have got tickets in the Gorgie stand. They like to watch the game from behind the goal high up, but you're close to the pitch at Tynecastle. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, that doing that USA-Peru game last night, um, you know, featured on the US fans, I was in behind the goal as, as well. It's been a while since I was behind the goal watching football. The only time I've ever commentated from behind the goal was at Easter Road when the, the stand, the main stand, was was being done up. And they put us behind the goal. Um, or the East Stand was being done up, one of the other ones. It is so different to do a commentary, and it's so different to watch a game from behind the goal. The perspective is totally different. Because mm-hmm. you think, and the, the benefit of it being at Rensselaer Field last night for the USA-Peru game uh, was having a big screen behind the goal at the other end, so you could see in real time what was going on. And I'm, I'm seeing the boy, maybe it looks like he's 25 yards out, and I'm thinking, why don't you shoot? You look at the big screen and you see he's like 45 yards out. It's just, it's depth perception. And there's a hell of a distance. Um, Just ask Craig Beattie, because he had to run it uh, behind (laughs) the goal at Hampden Park. So there's no way that fans who are the most loyal uh, um, would want to sit that far back. So, again, there has to be a debrief after these semifinals um, with the SPFL and the governing bodies and, and who's involved with this competition because it has been a shambles uh, ever since the semi-final. In fact, before that, because there was an article in one of the newspapers prior to the semi-final saying if the old firm are kept apart with them playing on the Thursday night, then heads up, this could be chaos. And that's what that's what happened. It just seems there's a lot of reactivity or reactionary thinking um, with the Scottish football governing bodies rather than pro-action. It's like, well, well, we'll wait until it's happened and then we'll decide what to do. The debrief will be really interesting because there's a lot of things that have, have happened that shouldn't even have, have gone near uh, or gone as far as they did. It's been a joke. And away from the, the debacle around ticket sales and everything else that's gone with the location of these games, looking at from a Hearts perspective, 18,000 sold is, is a big number already. We touched upon it briefly, I think, episode one, the fact that the last domestic attendance in Scotland that surpassed 
well, surpassed, I guess, 61,000 because Celtic Park can get 60,000. Would it be 1989, a Scottish Cup final between Celtic and Rangers? Yeah. Um, Do you remember the game, by the way? I don't. I would have been three in 1989. Okay. No, just... um... Brief one, Celtic scored from a throw and it was Rangers. But Celtic took it so quickly, I think it might have been Roy Aitken or someone, that um, they, the referee and the assistants just waved play on. Uh, anyway, I, I, that was Joe Miller, I think, got the only goal from a throw in that was a Rangers throw, but Celtic took it and the whistle never went. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I believe you. 72,000 anyway at Hamden Park yep. that day. The question is, I'm going to put it to you, Mm-hmm. Could Hearts and Celtic become the biggest attendance since that 1989 game? To to get to that number, they would need to... Assert, I don't know the exact number, but they would need to get 61,000 or so or above. I would never have a, a, a go at football fans. I've been there and I know it's, it's not cheap. Um, but given the publicity that these semi-finals have generated, mainly due to the incompetence of of rules, officials and governing bodies, I would be disappointed if Hearts didn't sell their allocation. The season ticket holders have stepped up. I think it's two per season ticket holder. That's, so in, in essence, um, well, we've got 18,000 so far. So we've, we've probably got about 12,000 to sell. Um, it'll be really interesting to see if Hearts can sell that. I, I'd be surprised if they didn't. And I'd be disappointed if they didn't as well. Because the last thing I want to see uh, obviously, I'll not be at the game because I'm over here. When I'm watching on TV, is empty seats in the away end because this is an opportunity for Hearts fans against the Celtic side that aren't as good as the team that Hearts beat when um, when Craig Beatty scored that goal. Um, this is a chance for Hearts fans to to really make it a 50-50 game against Celtic, um, and you don't normally get that at uh, at a neutral venue. I'm trying to think of the the semi-final when Beatty scored. There were less Hearts fans than Celtic fans, weren't there? Oh, there was big empty gaps. I, I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, exactly. There was only fifteen thousand Hearts fans. I was there that day. I remember that, and I, I do recall there was about fifteen thousand Hearts fans. The overall attendance, which I don't know off the top of my head, which I'm going to quickly look at, can be much more than I would say thirty-five thousand or something. That day. I don't think Celtic yeah. sold their allocation either. Well, there you go. But you know that Celtic are likely to have slightly more if everything is, is sold yeah. for this semi-final. Um, but it would be as close to a 50-50 split as you're going to get. So Hearts fans with no, who haven't got a ticket yet, I know it's on the TV, but this is they're in our backyard. Hearts fans can go to the same boozers, they can do the same things, the buses can leave pretty much at the same time as they would for a game at Tynecastle. It's, in essence, like another home game. And there was an interest among some Hearts fans, because when they played at Murrayfield last season, um, oh, it's something different. Just, if you can, if you can afford it, um, take Gran and Grandad, or Mum and Dad that have not been, or brother and sister that, that haven't been for a while. Just make that little extra effort, if you can afford it, um, to get along, to sell out your tickets, because this is an opportunity for, for Hearts fans to really make a stance. And, and basically... Rub it into, if you want to play the kind of one-upmanship and um, my dad's bigger than your dad game to the Hibs <laughs> fans. Um, when was the last time that Hibs took 30,000 to a game? 
because the cup final that they won in 2016 would have been a split, so they wouldn't have had any more than 26,000. The Kilmarnock game, when they won the League Cup, did they have 30,000 there? I know so, when they I, when they got beat by Livingston, they did have a good right, okay. 35, yeah. 40,000. Okay, that's, that's fair. So you, you, want, you don't want to give them any more ammunition in that they're watching as well. And they'll be like, my God, they've, they moaned about wanting a fair split and wanting a decent game and blah, 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 and they couldn't sell their tickets. Just don't give them ammunition. It'd be exactly the same if it was a hits podcast. Don't give the Hearts fans any ammunition. It's a whole one-upmanship. You've got enough to deal with. If Hearts win, great. You've got a brilliant Monday at work with your Hibs pals and your, your Celtic pals. And if they lose, phew, and you haven't sold your tickets, hmm, just get the, get the job done, sell the tickets, and enjoy it. Under 37,000 at that semi-final in 2012. That was the last time Hearts played Celtic in a domestic semi-final. I I would like to say, I think, we'll sell the allocation. I'm not as confident as you. I think when we're recording this, we're 11 days before the game. It's going to go to general sale now, and we've sold 18,000. I think I'd be impressed and pleased if we got close to 25. But I I, I would really hope I'm proven wrong and we get 30. I think it would be fantastic if we could. And it is the first... It's, it's mental to think. It's ridiculous to think. This is the first time Celtic will play a, a domestic cup semi-final outside of Glasgow since 1926. And the game they played against Aberdeen was played at... Tynecastle Park. Tynecastle Park, indeed it was. Scottish Cup semi-final. Wherever you come from, whoever you come to support, get behind your favourites. Let's make some noise! Before the semi-final, Hearts do have more league action, of course. And first up will be Aberdeen. And that's at Tynecastle this coming weekend when we're recording this. And Hearts getting a chance to bounce back from a defeat to Rangers that we spoke about last time, of course. That 3-1 game at Ibrox. I guess first up, Mark... The basic thing, look at the team. And I think we spoke about things we learned about Ibrox. What do we think Mr Levine will change, if he does change anything, when Aberdeen come to Tynecastle? Good question, Matt. Let's, let's pick the team for the Aberdeen game. Bobby Zlamal in goal. No Michael Smith, so he's suspended. I would go with a four at the back, because that would allow me to put Dimitri Mitchell further forward. We spoke last week about hopefully Demi doesn't play there that much in the future. So I'm going to go with Bobby Slamal in goal. I'm going to go with uh, Dika Mona as the right back, Suter and Dunn and Garuccio. I'm then going to have Mitchell playing on the left-hand side. I'm having Haring and Lee as my two midfielders. And I'm having Callum Morrison on the right-hand side. I'm playing Uchi up front with Naismith playing off him. So that would mean no Stephen McLean. It would mean no Arno Zoom. But I think for me, that would be, it would be like a 4-4-1-1 formation against Aberdeen. Uh, So Dicamona for Smith, Garuccio for Zoom, and Morrison for McLean. What about you? I don't know. I've I, I've oh, not what <laughs> I've not decided. I think the interesting conundrum for Hearts is the fact I think we have two options on the left. Which yeah, you can either play Mitchell in left midfield or left 
wing back, and you can play Garuchu, I would say left back or left wing back. Uh, the problem is on the right without Michael Smith being there. And I suppose, which I don't know if anything's been confirmed on this by the time people listen to my of how fit John Suter is going to be, because of course the talk is he was injured for Scotland, uh, not only sent off, which would be um, a real big blow if it was any sort of injury. Obviously, when this is out there, this might have been confirmed. But if Suter's out, that obviously reduces options as well. I think we just need to play with more width. I'm not going to give an 11. I think Morrison has to play, especially at home. And I think we need to move Mitchell forward. So I would fancy seeing Garuccio and Mitchell both in there unless we played with a back three. I think the thing I can't quite work out is if we play with a back four, who we play at right back. Because I'm not convinced that Dika Mona will be able to play it comfortably. No, but that's the problem that, that Hearts have without Michael Smith. Um, you're going to get someone that's maybe not played in the position for a while or, or not used to to the position. Um, so that's that's something we've just got to deal with. Uh, Aberdeen, in their 4-1 win over St Mirren, went with a back four, but they went with two up top. So there is an argument that you could play three at the back, and what that would do is it would give you more... Uh, bodies in, in midfield because they went with Ferguson and Shinny as their two centre ones. So you could match up like for like with Haring and Lee, or you could put an extra man in there. And if you did, I would like to see Arno Jum play um, in that central role. Again, it's going to mean someone missing out. So again, if I'm just doing this off the top of my head, Bobby's Lamal and goal, if we're going with a back three, um, we, we still need a a third centre-back if Suter's injured. If Suter's fit, you could do Dicamona, Suter and Dunn. Now, we were talking about Mitchell ideally not playing as a left-back, but possibly as a, a left-wing-back. It wouldn't be my choice, but in a 3-5-2, I think you get away with that. So that would allow Mitchell to be on the right. Would you have Callum Morrison as a right-wing-back? That would be a concern for me. I think I, I much prefer him as a, a right-midfielder. But we're juggling around these jigsaw pieces and we've got Lee and Haring as the kind of... Well, Haring is the holder, Lee just in front with Arnold June more central. Um, and then you've got Naismith off Ikpiezu. So it's doable. But I think if, if you've got... If you have Dicamona as your right centre-back in a three with Morrison uh, providing the width, you, you then have two players who are very offensive in the wide areas that aren't maybe the best defensively. So that, that would be a concern for me that Aberdeen would play diagonal balls kind of over the top and in behind if it was Morrison and Mitchell um, for Gary Mackay, Stephen and whoever they decide wants to play on the, the right-hand side. Fascinating tactical battle for, for, for me, this one. I think Hearts will stick with a, uh, stick with a four um, this weekend. It's worth noting that when Hearts beat Aberdeen 2-0, Tynecastle just um, just a few months back, really back in April, towards the end of last season, they did play with a back three with mm-hmm. Berra, Hughes, and Suter across that back three with Mark. Is, is, Hughes, is Hughes sorry, Laurie? Is Hughes still available? I don't know actually, because uh, he was injured. It's been a while. He was injured. I, I mean, I don't think necessarily Hughes would have to have to be involved. If you want to have a back three, as as long as Suter makes it, you can. As yeah. you've said, you've got Jimmy Dunn. You've got John Suter and you've got 
Ticamona. Uh, the the wing backs for that game was Marcus Godinho on the left and Connor oh. Randall on the right, and we had Michael Smith in a position where he played a lot of the last sort of quarter of last season was central midfield alongside Don Cowie with uh, Milinkovic and Naismith supporting Kyle Lafferty. So I suppose it was successful on that occasion. I thought that was one of the best hearts performances in the closing months of last season was that home win over Aberdeen 2-0. So I think it can be done. I think the main thing is, (laughs) I think you said it after the Rangers game, is we sort out our defensive line for free kicks and we get a bit more width in there because... I think those are the, probably the two big failures at Ibrox. Yeah, I'm just while you were you're chatting, your timing is is perfect. Um, Aaron Hughes was an unused sub for Northern Ireland in Austria, and Aaron Hughes was an unused sub again for Northern Ireland in Bosnia, uh, Herzegovina, and Sarajevo. Um, so. That suggests to me that he is fit and available because you're not going to get called up by your national team if you're if you're not. So I think I th- just the, the only way Hughes I think will, will start on uh, on Saturday against Aberdeen is if John Souter doesn't make it. So that would then give you the option of of having three at the back with Hughes, Dicamona, and um, Jimmy Dunn. Yeah, and and again that's not ideal. Because you've got a back three like that, two of whom have um, not played for or not started for a while. Let's just hope Suter's available. Let's hope it's a back four and it'll be him and Jimmy Dunn. And then we can cross the other bridges if, if that's not the case. more I talk about this, and I hadn't thought about it before you asked me the question, that would be the team that I would like. The okay. 4-4-1-1 with Jume coming off the bench if required, and McLean coming off the bench if required for, for fresh legs as well. And Stephen Naismith, who scored in the Tynecastle game last time the sides met in April, I think, from my point of view, his best position, or certainly what I like to see most, is that number 10 almost role, supporting the striker, not a number 9, which he can play, and I thought he did very well for periods against Motherwell in the Cup, uh, not out wide, where he inevitably will drift in and start buzzing around that area behind the striker anyway, but I think that's where we're best to have him, and yes, yeah, supporting someone, maybe whether it's McLean or Uche up front, I think that's where he's most effective, is making those runs off a striker, and he will drop out wide anyway from that role, but keeping him fairly central, I think, because he's so influential for Hearts. Yeah, and what I would say to that, Laurie, is that I like Graham Shinney as a player. And if Graham Shinney's biggest concern at the weekend is where Stephen Naismith gone, keeping tabs on on him, um, I think that would be a, a a big thing for Hearts because he's pretty influential, Shinney. I like him as a player. He gets stuck in. I think Naismith's the type of player that could wind Shinney up because he's got a short fuse, Graham Shinney. I like my prop bets. I don't normally do them. I like to try to pick one out and then see if it, it works. I don't normally put money on them. But if I was to do a prop bet on this game at the weekend, it would be that Graham Shinney was booked. Because I think I think Naismith will have him wound up like a toy. And that, that'll be interesting to see what he does. I, I was just looking at Aberdeen's record at Tynecastle um, because over the piece, it's been horrible over the last decade. But more recently, they've had a, they've had a bit more success. I remember... I wasn't there, but I remember watching it on TV. I think you did the commentary 
when Joe Lewis had the game of his life at Murrayfield in the nil-nil game in, in September um, last year. I always look forward to games against Aberdeen. Uh, when I when I grew up, I had a lot of Aberdeen friends because they were a successful team at the time, and it was it was always a good a good matchup. And I've had a fair bit of success watching Hearts at home to Aberdeen. So let's just hope that continues this weekend. Do you think it will? Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I think Hearts, I think Hearts are going to be in the bonnet after the as Craig Levine said after the game. It was pretty much over by the time the Hearts tried to get back into it. I think the extra time that Hearts have had for the players not on international duty to prepare, I think he'll have them fired up for this because Levine sees, uh, Aberdeen are seventh right now, forget that. He he sees them as a contender for where Hearts want to finish, whether it's first, second, third, fourth, any of those. This is a big game for Hearts because it's in a spell we've mentioned before that Hearts need to pick up points against teams in and around them. Big Big period coming up. It would set it up perfectly if we can get all three points, and I think they will this weekend. I'd like to just quickly run through some uh, other messages we've received. Uh, Adam Kennedy just said he was catching up on the podcast. He said he's delighted to hear that Mark Donaldson is also a Pennycook Jambo, even if he did dismiss his idea for revamping the European song. I think it might have been Adam who had suggested using Portobello. Um, I can't quite recall. He also says, hashtag, where is Gary Tierney? I'm going to be disappointed if that doesn't trend at least some point on Twitter in the next few weeks. It's unlikely to, but you never know. Kenny Bell also said that, like Mark, he's never given away his heart scarf. And being an expat, he can relate to what Mark was saying about the negativity in Scotland and football fans on last week's podcast. He also did say that he agrees with uh, Mark on Mitchell not being a left back. Should play further up the wing. So hopefully uh, Mark's team choice will come to fruition at the weekend and we will see that. Uh, There's another interesting one from Catch22, which is always Gorgie on Twitter. You might have remembered that it was him who called you out on your terrible decision to try and change the European song. (laughs) He, he, He was just... He was talking about, I think, cult zeros, and he was he was mentioning Andy McNeil and Zibi Malkowski. I think that's how we got to it. And favourite chants, I think it was a chant from the part from the stands that was aimed at Zibi Malkowski. Uh, no, Andy McNeil saying you're just a bleep, Zibi Malkowski, and it got me thinking about what's your favourite one chant wonder. Well, that's what he suggested. Sorry, catch twenty two. And maybe not one chant, maybe it's been chanted a few times, but my favourite one was the one about Dennis Wynas, about him used to being something that rhymes with all right, but now he's all right. Do you, do you know the one I mean? Oh, I do. I never realised he got to the all right stage, though. And, no, neither do I. I. <laughs> never mind. There's only one Dennis Wynas. He used to be bleep, but now he's all right, walking in a Wynas wonderland. You can tell I'm trying to avoid that explicit tag on our Apple podcasts. Um, <laughs> rank is that right? What, one bad word, and you you have to get a tag. Is that right? Don't do it. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't no. know actually. I, I I don't have a mouth like a sewer rat. But does that mean someone's got to listen to everything? I don't I, to know if there's a bad, a naughty word. I actually don't know how it works. We'll find out one week, I suppose. Okay. But that got me to thinking. After he said, "What's your favourite one chant wonder? What is your favourite chance that you've heard?" And this could be dodgy because certain chats we wouldn't be able to talk about and I wouldn't want to talk about. So I suppose keeping it, let's say, 
how do we how how do I put this politely? Keeping it keep just, it Disney. Keep it Disney. To to keep a de- to a degree. To a degree. Oh, no, you can you can you can have whatever you want. If you're getting in touch with us, then we have to decide <laughs> whether it's a if we want an explicit label. Um, it's funny. I'm writing an article right now for. I don't know what it's for. Um, <laughs> honestly, don't know. This guy got in touch. This is, um, we're, we're after people to write articles um, entitled Ode to an Idol. So I'm writing a piece about John Robertson. And then I got back to him and said, by the way, what's this for? And it's a, it's a Scottish football annual, I think. It's coming out in May. I've got no idea. Anyway, and I'm not getting paid for it either um, before you go. And it, I'm going to start with it. My, my piece starts with a chant. And it was an easy chant. And it was simply... Robo, 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 Robertson, John Robertson, John Robertson. That was his song. That one. Yeah, it's a chant. It was on the um, that Heart album in the 80s of songs. Yeah, but do you know who else was on that album? Who? With two tracks, me. Oh, yes. I still, got, uh, I, still got ro- I still get royalties from that. Do you? Like, and I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> Cherry Red Records. Every year, my mum, and, my, my mum phones me up excited. Um... Marky, you've you've got a letter. Uh, she doesn't sound like Mrs. Goggins from Postman Pat, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> everyone everyone doing an impression of their mother usually sounds like Mrs. Goggins from Postman Pat. But she goes, "Oh, well, I send it out to you." And I was like, um, "Can you tell me where the postmark is? Because I know that Cherry Red Records or, or whatever." She goes, "It's from such and such." I said, "No, that that's fine. You can open it." So she'd open it all excited, and she'd go, oh! "I said, what is it, Mum?" She goes, "You have made." 14 pence this year that's amazing <laughs> thank you because it counts it's the spoken history of hearts and and it's funny a quick quick story again we're off we're off kind of off topic my friend of mine ian lenny from Pennycook, um took a bus now i'd be lying if i said it was for which away trip it was for hearts in europe doesn't really matter but it was it was a long one right and they they played this from when they left Edinburgh to wherever Hearts went in, in mainland Europe. They played this on repeat. And he was kind of used to say to me, oh, I was about to get to sleep and then track 19 would come on and it would start in 1874 and he'd have nightmares throughout the bus journey as this every 35 minutes or whatever after 18 heart songs came two spoken word tracks. So yeah, I'm the, I'm the only one on that album that gets paid twice because it goes down as two tracks. So there you go. And you still only make 14 pence. <laughs> that was last year. <laughs> I was That was a good year. I made nothing the year before. 14 pence was a really, really good year. Um, <laughs> last year was barren. I had to feed the bairn like water and, and dust. Couldn't afford anything else. She, she, got, uh, she got formula um, this year because I made some money off, off the spoken... Um, tracks, spoken word tracks. There you go. <laughs> I've been doing this too long. I've been uh, voicing over and doing stuff for many, many years, and there's stuff I've even forgotten I did. Um, but I like I like reminiscing um, when when I remember that I did it. <laughs> that's, that's that's good to know. So what what we'll ask for next time is give okay a, homework. Give us your favourite songs or chants from the terraces keep it clean reasonably something that we can actually obviously discuss if there's swear words in it i can i, I can suggest what they are like the dennis Wynes song uh, there's surely some belters down the years that have been sung now that can be for a hearts player that can be against an opposition player 
I think one of my favourites is actually a non-Hearts one that I read about was when Dean Gherkin, who people have probably heard about, was in goals. And I believe, I'm guessing he was played for, I think, Colchester at the time, possibly. Mm-hmm. Either way, the, whatever team he was playing for were getting absolutely hammered. And he was in front of the away fans, who are, are home fans. The opposition fans were behind his goal, and they started chanting, you should have stayed in a burger at Dean Gherkin. And I, I just, I loved it. That's quite smart. I loved the originality. Like, who thought that up at the time? So, something like that. I mean, I don't know. Something clever or something just funny. It can be it can be on the nose, can be the funniest as well sometimes. Yeah, and, and it, look, it's, it's kind of difficult when you're chanting, especially if it's an opposition player, um, to keep it PC. So, like, this is a podcast. This isn't the BBC. So, we can go off topic a little bit and, and a, a little bit non-PC because... Look, we're not going to get dear points of view um, letters and everything like that. One, and I don't know if it was Celtic fans or Aberdeen fans or whatever, there was a suggestion oh, 14, 15 years ago that Andy Gorham may be suffering from schizophrenia. <laughs> and the next the next chant when he next played for Rangers, two Andy Gorhams, there's only two. and So stuff like that. Like, schizophrenia series, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if we're if we're going to ask for chance, um, and you've maybe created a monster with this one, Mister Dunsire, uh, we we can have a we can have a bit of humour as well. That that's kind of clever. So clever, smart, daft, funny chance about Hearts players or um, opposition players is your homework for this week. Set up by Mister Laurie Dunsire. I've got a good one for next week, by the way. I'm going to regret this one. I think there. So doesn't have to be clean. But let's avoid anything too controversial, anything sectarian, anything down that line. I'm immediately going to ignore, so don't even bother messaging it in. But, you know, within reason, humorous. If it's got a wee sweary word in there, I can still suggest what the song is. I, I want to end with, with two self-deprecating stories. One, uh, and this isn't about a chant. This is things that when you work in the media and you do pre-recorded interviews, because not everything can be live. If your show doesn't start till seven, like our show didn't one night, I'd interviewed Craig Levine when he got to Celtic Park and it had been raining all day in Glasgow. So I said to, and I've got one, one of these weeks, I'll, I'll send you Laurie, the, um, the, the blue, the blooper reel from our days at Radio 4. And it's, it's magnificent. Um, we just, we we take the piss out of each other and and I had Clark Kent on the bench for Dundee United one day and his name was Clark K. And Craig <laughs> Pat, Patterson alongside me was like if they had Clark Kent they might have more chance of winning this. He was only 16. Um, so anyway we were at Celtic Park and I'd said to Craig Levine pre-recorded interview. Well Craig you've uh, you've been out on the pitch and and had a look at it. How did you find it? So Levine smart arse said, Well Mark. Um, Opened the dressing room door, uh, turned right, came down the tunnel, and the pitch was in front of me. That's how I found it. I was like, you smart. And you know what? I could have started again. I thought, no, that's that's that, that's quite funny. That's, so, I, so I kept that in. And another one I kept in was um, IBV Vestmania, Hearts 2000 in mm-hmm. Reykjavik at the National Stadium, the Lagards Volner Stadium. Bohemians had beaten Aberdeen the same night. Hearts, funnily enough, ironically, were due to face Aberdeen that weekend as we are this weekend. And I said to Craig Levine, uh, sorry, it was Jim Jeffries, um, Aberdeen losing tonight, Jim, um, against Bohemians. Um, they'll go into that game at the weekend against Hearts with their heads between their legs. 
instead of their tails. So, and I, again, kept it in, silly thing. So anyway, I'll, I think over the next few weeks, I'll, we'll, we'll drop in some of the, the bloopers from, from years gone by, because that'll be, that'll be fun to listen to. Again, I hadn't thought of that, but I have now. The chant, again, quickly coming back to where we were. Um, I got pelters one day. I was in the terrace, uh, the, the shed in the corner behind the goal at Tynecastle, my pals from school. We were playing Hibs in an Edinburgh derby, and the chant went up. So I joined in. So I was like, Andy, Pandy, Andy. And my pals are like, what the hell are you singing? I'm like, I'm singing a little bit late because everyone else says, it's Bandy, Bandy, you arsehole. Look at his legs. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I joined in like I'd never said Andy, Pandy. They still bring, I'm 41. They still bring that up. Anytime Scotland are playing or, or Hearts Hibs, they go, oh, remember the old Andy, Pandy days? <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's all right to laugh at yourself. If you don't laugh at yourself, everyone else will. So you may as well start it off. So there's some self-deprecating tales, um, which ended in me being an idiot, like always. So th- there you go. I don't know if that's a way to end the show, but it might make you uh, might make you smile a wee bit. Thanks for that, Mark. It was a good way to end. We will be back next week, depending on i suppose when we get things recorded we are of course in two different locations across the globe that might impact whether it's before or after we play dundee but if it is before we'll assess the Aberdeen game and look ahead to that one if it's afterwards then we'll figure it out but you might have learned already this isn't the most scripted or organized piece of <laughs> broadcasting way, just, so. just before just before we end can i give huge praise to uh, the big hearts um organization who have launched with um, something called the Changing Room. And this is uh, a tweet that's been put out as well by the SPFL Trust. The Changing Room has one goal, to bring men aged 30 to 64 together to take action on their mental health and well-being using the power of the beautiful game. Well done to everyone involved with that, especially the guys at Big Hearts, and it was launched earlier today by Christoph Berra at Tynecastle. So that's something we are very much behind. And just remember, it's okay not to be okay. So well done to everyone involved with that. Very good cause mentioned there by Mark, and you can find out more information on the Big Hearts website, which is just bigheartsorguk But from myself and Mark, we'll see you next time. Here comes Andy Pandy and Lou. He can be Teddy too Playing in the garden Every day Making things his own